Hey church, it's so great to have you with us once again. Only five sleeps left till Christmas. And if that wasn't exciting enough for me and Ruth, it's our wedding anniversary tomorrow, 13 blissful years. And we are heading to Ribby Hall for two hours of peace and tranquility at their spa before returning home to the usual chaos in our house of children. But nevertheless, it's going to be amazing. Rest is important, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to switching off for a bit over Christmas and spending some quality time with my family. And we hope that you guys get to do the same in your Christmas bubbles this year. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We are going through, in fact, we are just about to finish a three-part series called Fear Not. And we've been looking at different instances throughout the the Christmas story when an angel appeared and the very first thing that the angel would say is what? Fear not. And so we saw an angel appear to Mary and then we saw an angel appear to Joseph. And today, as we wrap this up, we're going to look at the angels appearing to the shepherds. And you know, the fear that I want to talk about to you today is uh, something that many people have around the world and that is the fear of where I stand with God. The fear of where I stand with God. You know many people find themselves asking the question, what do you think would happen to me when I die? What, what is going to happen? And, you know even as believers we find ourselves kind of reviewing our life and perhaps asking the question, where, where do I stand with God? Where do I stand with God? Because we know that we can never match up to his standards. Each and every one of us falls short of the mark. We can never live that that perfect life like Jesus gave that amazing example of during his time on earth. So, So where do we stand with God? At home, we've been watching a lot of Christmas movies as a family. You know, Ruth and I as well have watched Die Hard 1 and 2 already. Give a thumbs up if you agree uh, that they are Christmas movies. We certainly do. But one of my favourite Christmas movies has to be Elf. For those of you that don't know, this is the story of Buddy, a six-foot-something man living in the North Pole, raised by elves, oblivious to the fact that he is in fact human, not elf. And then when the truth finally comes out, he sets out on this quest to find his real dad. And you know, his expectations of of this man are so high. He just, he pictures this amazing guy who loves candy canes and Christmas and loves to laugh and smile and have fun. But but when he finally meets him, it, it turns out that he's the polar opposite. He's this workaholic businessman that's a proper Scrooge. And then there's this moment in the film where Buddy finds himself absolutely shocked beyond belief because he finds out that his dad is on the naughty list. He can't believe it. He just can't get over this. He's like, no! It's funny, isn't it? This idea of a, of a naughty and a nice list. It's almost a, the threats that parents can give to children. If you're not good enough, you won't get any presents. 
If you don't behave yourself, your name will be taken off this list and put onto that list and all you'll be left with is a lump of coal because that's all you deserve. And, you know, we can be this kind of almost this scaremongering that we, that, we could, that we could use if we, you know, so desired following this tale of, of Santa Claus. But that's certainly not something we use in our household. <laughs> But of course, we do teach our kids the difference between right and wrong, don't we? And we, we show them that actually there are consequences to, to the choices that they make. And so we encourage them to, to think and to act in a way that would be pleasing to us, but also pleasing to God. And so I wonder if this idea has perhaps been, been trans, transferred over to the way that people kind of view and, and picture God. You know, if I'm not good enough then God won't love me. If I don't stick to all his rules, then I'm going to end up in hell. How could we ever measure up to, to God's standards? And, and when we don't, what does that mean for where we stand with God? And so today we're going to look at another fear, not angel story. And I believe this, this story, a very popular portion of the the Christmas narrative could speak to you in a way that, that could be a game changer when it comes to understanding where you stand with God. So let's take a look at this portion of scripture from Luke chapter 2. We're going to start reading from verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel, of course, said to them, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord." You know, what's really interesting to me about this story isn't that the angels appeared, but it's who the angels appeared to. Now, for example, back in the time that Jesus lived, whenever a child was born, it was common if they had a decent income to hire a herald. That would be a person that would go out and, and herald would announce the birth of this child. And for example, especially if it was the firstborn that was a son, then they'd make this really big, massive deal about it because it was a symbol of God's blessing on the family name that would then continue on to the next generation. And so they would be this heralds that would come out to announce the good news. A child has been born this day. It's almost like us roping in the town crier to walk the streets, ringing his bell. Hear ye, hear ye, Mr. and Mrs. Jones have had a boy and they've named him Thomas. Welcome, everybody welcome, Master Thomas Jones to the world, born this day in the year 2020. Hear ye, hear ye or something like that. I mean, I don't know how that would have gone with this heralding thing, but that was a real thing. That's what they did if they had the money for it back in the time of Jesus. And so that's what God is doing 
in this part of the Christmas story. He's sending an angel as the herald to announce the good news, to announce the arrival of the Saviour. But what's interesting isn't that he's sent a herald, but who he sent it to. You know, think about it. The Son of God is being born on earth. The Son of God. Who would you think he would choose to announce that news to? I don't know, from, from my perspective, you'd think in a logical mindset, it would probably go to royalty. Let's announce the birth of the Saviour to kings or, or maybe to religious leaders, the, the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees. I, I don't know, someone that would make logical sense to announce the Saviour of the world to. But instead, God sends the angel, he sends the herald to, to proclaim this good news to the shepherds. And what you might not understand about this is that the shepherds were actually one of the most disrespected groups of people around. This job of a shepherd was, was so low that a father would only give it to the youngest son, the kind of lesser of all of his children. But more often than not, it was reserved for, for slaves. A shepherd was uneducated. There is no career advancement advancement when it comes to shepherding. In fact, shepherds were generally considered unclean in the community of God's people because of the work that they did. They were in daily contact with dirty, smelly sheep, the mess that they make, the blood from their cuts and scrapes and insect bites and, and all of that kind of stuff. So that meant that shepherds were, were almost never clean enough to worship with God's people in God's presence. Because there were rules that you had to stick to, cleansing and cleaning and, and all of that stuff. But, but that meant, their job meant that they couldn't kind of stick to these rules. And so they were often considered outcasts. So it's no wonder that they worried and that they lived in fear, like we're talking of this morning, a fear of where they stand with God because they will have felt distant, removed from all that was going on in and around the temple. So why did they feel distant? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons if you're taking notes. And the first reason is this, that the first reason they felt distant from God is that they felt unworthy. They felt unworthy. You know, hearing the way that they were, they were judged and treated by people in general, religious leaders, we can understand why they felt that they weren't good enough for God. You know, it didn't help that being a shepherd meant, meant being away from home a lot of the time. It's much like a lorry driver being out on the road for days, maybe weeks before coming home. And they'd be out on the fields, they'd be living with the animals for weeks, maybe months at a time, which meant that they couldn't get to the temple to perform these, these various religious duties that, that they were supposed to do as followers. And, and so they were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And as you can imagine, you know, they hung out with the sheep. So how do you think they smelled? probably not very good. There were no portaloos or camping showers to speak of. They couldn't just nip into one of them to have a quick wash in the sink or anything. So they were physically dirty, 
but even more damaging to their soul, religious people considered them spiritually dirty. So much so that they wouldn't even touch a shepherd because if you, if you touched a shepherd, it's like you get the lurgy that you then become spiritually unclean. It, it passes from them and to, to you. And the reality is that, that I think that's the way many of us can be sometimes. We can, we can come into church and we can try and put on our, our church face so that, you know, we look like everything's okay, but we know the truth of what goes on behind the scenes. We know what we've done this month, this week, this morning. We know how much we've messed up in life. And so maybe we think, how can God love me? With everything that I've done, with all the mistakes that I've made, how could God possibly love me? How could I ever be worthy enough to be in his presence? The shepherds felt unworthy. And number two, they also felt inadequate. I've already said that shepherds were often uneducated people, and so they never felt like they quite measured up in society. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, when we compare ourselves to others, how inadequate we can feel. Have you ever walked into someone's house and they have like four kids, but it's spotless? There is no mess. There's no Lego all over the floor. The, 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 the dishes are all done. The beds are made. It's all looking perfect and pristine. And you're thinking to yourself, have they got a cleaner? Have they got a nanny? How on earth is this physically possible. Is that just us? I don't know, it would make me feel inadequate, like we weren't kind of able to maintain our house in some ways. Not that it's a tip, but you know. Well, I don't know, maybe you look at, you're scrolling through your phone and you see a social media post of, of this couple having cute date nights and, and doing activities together and going out for romantic walks and getting dressed up for fancy dinners and and we're sitting there like, shall we just put a pizza in the oven, throw our pajamas and be in bed for nine? I don't know, it, it, this kind of comparison thing, it, it makes you feel a little bit inadequate. It makes you feel less than you should. And comparison like that, it, it's a dangerous thing. It's really dangerous. And, and I think that's how the shepherds must have felt when they tried to kind of compare themselves with the rest of society. But even more than just kind of a, a status or, or careers, they felt spiritually inadequate. As I've already said, they wouldn't have been able to go to the temple to make their you know, regular sacrifices and doing their regular acts of worship because they were out in the fields most of the year. So spiritually, according to you know, the rules of the, of, of the temple, they, they, were feeling, they weren't hitting the mark, so they were feeling inadequate. And I don't know, maybe sometimes we can be like that. We, we look around at people and think, but, but they seem so close to God. You know, they've got a Bible verse for everything. They're not just quoting verses, but they're quoting whole books of the Bible. And sometimes I didn't even know that was a book let alone what it said. How do they do that? Oh, and their prayers. Their prayers are just so powerful and you can really feel and, and sense that they're connecting with God and then it's me and it's them. And 
I don't know, and you're thinking the last time I prayed was like, God, help me not to kill this person in town because he's stolen my parking space. I'm so unspiritual. And then, you know, it's this comparison thing, isn't it? It's, it really is a dangerous thing. And so I believe that's how these shepherds would have felt. They felt unworthy, but they also felt inadequate when they were comparing themselves to the rest of society. And then the third challenge that I believe the shepherds would have faced was that they felt unloved. They felt unloved. You know, in reality, most of them, most of these shepherds would have been thieves and, and that's just kind of a, a sad fact. And, but even the ones that weren't thieves, they, they weren't trusted people. They, people wanted to keep their distance from them because of everything that we've already said. In fact, they were so distrusted that a shepherd would never be allowed to give a testimony in court because no one would trust them. No one would trust them. You know, they might have wanted to get married, but a father wouldn't, wouldn't trust their daughter to them. They were filthy. They were uneducated. They were unworthy. They were unloved. And again, that's the sad thing because even today, that's how many people feel. You know, it might be because a parent or a loved one left them in it it left them questioning, well, what's wrong with me? Why wasn't I good enough for them to, to stick around? Or, or maybe you're, you're looking in the mirror and you, and you just don't like the person who is looking back at you in the reflection. And you know, you, you don't even love yourself and you think, well, if they don't love me and, and I don't love me, then how could God ever love me? But it's amazing to think about the difference between perception and reality. You see, perception, even within our church family, for those of you who are, who are regulars here at Hope Church, you know, you might think of someone in church who, who usually sits on the row in front of you and you think, well, he's got it together and, and she's got it together. He's more successful than I am and, and they look like they've got a perfect family. And, and then there's me and I'm so screwed up and I keep making mistakes. But you know, if they knew how I was, then, but you've got no idea about the person in front of you or the person next to you or the person behind you. You don't know their pain. You don't know their struggles. All you're seeing probably is this church face that gets put on instead of the truth, instead of what goes on behind the scenes. Or maybe you're looking at someone who looks in more, you know, incredibly successful. They've got more money than you. They've got a nice car. But inside, that doesn't mean they're not carrying a burden. It doesn't mean they're not carrying so much pain that, you know, maybe they don't have someone close enough to them that they can open up to. I, I don't know. You just don't know, do you? The truth is, we don't know what's going on inside. And that old adage, never judge a book by its cover, is so true. Because sometimes people feel unworthy. They feel inadequate and they feel unloved. We just do a good job of hiding it most of the time. The bottom line is that religion didn't work for the shepherds. Religion didn't work for the shepherds. It made them feel even more distant from God. Religion didn't work for the shepherds and it doesn't work for us. Don't yell at your TV. <laughs> Don't be saying, wait a minute, I thought you were the pastor. What on earth are you saying? You heard me right. Religion doesn't 
work for us. God didn't send Jesus to bring religion into the world in so many ways. He brought Jesus into the world to free us from religion and bring us into something so much better. You see, the problem with religion is that it reduces Christianity down to a set of rules, a set of do's and don'ts. If I do the right thing, I'll feel good about myself. If I steer away from the bad stuff, I can feel even better about myself. I mean, I must be a good person because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't sleep around. So I must be okay. And if you do any of those things, then I've got the right to look down on you because I am holier than you. I am more religious than you and because I obey more of the rules than you. And Jesus looks at that thought process and that religiosity and he says, what on earth are you talking about? Don't be so stupid. You know, he said to the Pharisees, didn't he? You are so focused on the outside that the outside looks filthy, but it's on the inside where it matters. And for you, you Pharisees, you're focused on making your outside look perfect, but your inside is filthy. If you're focused on the outside and not the inside, you're missing the point. You see, religion didn't work for the shepherds and it doesn't work for us. Because Christianity was never meant to be religion, it was meant to be a relationship, a relationship with God. And that's why God sent a person. That's why God sent Jesus, his son. That is the good news that we're talking about. Okay, so, so that's the good news. What does that mean to us today? How, how do I apply that to my life? Well, I'm going to show you in the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, who once led the charge against Christians, persecuting, killing them for sport, and until he had this, this transformational encounter with, with the love of God and, and then became one of the greatest representatives of Christ in all of history. Just look at what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe. Okay, so let me just quickly break this down into three parts. The good news is you can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You, you can't be good enough for God by trying to stick to all the rules, to all the do's and the don'ts. That was the good news. That is the good news for the shepherds, for for us. But you see, according to the Pharisees of the day, they were trying to stick to, they were trying to obey 613 different laws. As Christians, we had 10 commandments and we struggle to keep them. But God said, let me make it even easier for you. I'm just going to give you two. Love God 
and love people. Love God and love people. That's our, our kind of I don't know, catchphrase, mantra, whatever you will, for Hope Church. So we fail miserably at trying to stick to 613 different laws. The Pharisees couldn't do it, so the shepherds had no hope. So this is the good news, that even if you can't do it, even if you tried, even if you gave 110%, you would have no chance. But then verse 20 says that no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one can be made right with God just by obeying the law. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? What, what is the law even there for? Well, you can't earn God's acceptance by observing the law. So what's the purpose of the law? The law reveals your need for a saviour. The law reveals your need for a saviour. Look at it very clearly in verse 20 again. For by works of the law, no human being, no one will be justified in his sight. The law simply shows us just how sinful we are and how much we need God. It points to, it reveals, it helps us see we need a saviour. Now I just need to say this right here, it's, it's one of the most important things we're going to talk about today because in our culture today, one of the fundamental flaws in thinking, so many people believe that they're actually good. So many people believe that they are actually good. You know, if I asked you, how many of you think you're a good person? Well, many of you would probably say, well, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I know some bad people, and, and, and if I compare myself to them, then, well, I'm not like them, so I must be a good person. And the reality is, if you compare yourselves to other people, then that may well be true. But we are not talking about comparing ourselves to other people. We're talking about comparing ourselves to God, to his standards, to the example that Jesus set. And when we do that, we realize that we are all bad people. We are all bad people. We all fall short of the mark. And just because it's Christmas, I'm going to help you see just how bad you really are. How many of you have ever told a lie? If we were in church right now, I'd be asking you to raise up your hands to let me know who's told a lie. And then I'd be asking you to look around and find those people that didn't have their hands up and point at them and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> How many of you have stolen something? How many of you have just pinched, I don't know, a penny sweet, a pound out of your mum and dad's purse. I don't know what it is. I've done both of those things. Sorry, mum. And how many of you have ever looked at someone lustfully? And what did Jesus say? He said, if you've even looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. So if you've told a lie, you're a liar. If you've stolen something, you're a thief. If you had a lustful thought, you are an adulterer. So Basically, our church is full of lying, thieving, adulterers. Welcome to Hope Church. This is our promotional video. You are welcome here. Okay, I get that that was a bit silly, but 
But what's the point here? It's so important, so, so just listen in. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you'll not see your need for a saviour. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you'll not see your need for a saviour. You know, when we recognise that we are actually comparing ourselves to, to God's standards and not just to other people, then you'll realise that, uh, oh, oh, right, I actually am a pretty bad person. I fail time and time again. And it's then, it's in that moment that we recognise just how much we need God's grace. And when you realise your need for a saviour, you're going to recognise this, that religion can't save you. When you recognise I am a sinner, then you won't be looking for salvation through religion, but you'll be looking through salvation through a person. 2,000 years ago, the saviour was born. The angels came to herald to announce the good news that Jesus Christ was born this day. Christianity was never meant to be about religion, but about relationship with God. So what's the good news? The good news is you can't be good enough for God by observing the law. The purpose of the law is to show us our need for a saviour. So how are we made right with God when we're answering that question, where do I stand with God? The good news teaches us this, righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Righteousness with God comes by faith in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus religion. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money to good causes. It's not Christ plus good work. It's Christ plus nothing, plus nothing. It's putting our faith in Christ alone. You know, verse 22 tells us that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And so the angel appeared to the shepherds, the people that religion had rejected. The angel appeared to them and said, fear not, fear not, for today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. How are you made right with God? By faith in Christ alone. When you put your faith in Christ, when you recognise yourself as, as a sinner, you realise your need for, for God's grace. And it's as simple as, as asking God and, and then he clothes you with his righteousness. He clothes you with his grace that says, I no longer see you as a sinner, but I see you as holy. It means that as soon as we ask for God's forgiveness, as soon as you ask him, he makes you right. He makes you clean. In an instant, it happens. That is the power of the good news. That is the power of God. Are you good enough for God on your own? No, but because 
of the Son of God, because of the arrival of that baby, and then his life, his perfect life, and going on to, to, to die on a cross and to rise again. Because of that, we are made whole, and God no longer sees our sin, but he sees us through his righteousness, through the righteousness of Christ. And that's why religion didn't work for the shepherds, relationship did. You see, religion is all about our efforts. It's all about us. It's all about us trying to please God. But relationship is about God, his perfect work in satisfying the debt of sin through the man and the person of Jesus. Religion is about what we do or don't do. And relationship is about what God did and his perfect work. Religion could be spelt D-O, but relationship could be spelt D-O-N-E. It's totally and completely done. Religion says, I have to work hard, and if I work hard enough, I might please God. And relationship says, because I'm already accepted with God by Christ, because of that, I want to work hard. I want to give of my all. I want to do my best. I don't have to do this life. I get to do this life. And that's the game changer here when you realise this. The shepherds felt just like we do sometimes. They felt unworthy. They felt inadequate. They felt unloved even. But fear not. Fear not, for today in the town of David, a saviour has been born. And so no matter how bad you've been or how badly you've messed up or, or how alone and distant you feel, let me just say this one more time from Romans 3 verse 22. We are made right with God, not by works, not by religion, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And that's the good news. That's what this season is all about, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, a saviour has been born, a person has been born, a way into relationship has been opened up so that we can become clean, so that we can become righteous and holy, so that we can have relationship with God. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you so much for this season, for everything that Christmas time uh, talks about and speaks about, this, the birth of a saviour, the birth of Jesus Christ. When you cho chose to come to earth, to put on flesh, to become a human, to live a life like we do, except perfect and clean. And Lord God, I pray that as we remember the birth of Jesus, that we won't just picture a baby in a manger, but we will also remember the journey and the life of a man. And that we will not strive to live that kind of life because we have to, but out of relationship with you, out of recognizing your love for us and, and our love for you, that we want to live this life, that we get to live this life. So I thank you that 
we no longer have to fear where we stand with you when we accept you into our lives, when we ask for forgiveness, when we thank you for everything that you did from birth through to death on the cross and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.